Hi, and welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark, Sharon, and I will be talking today about the myth of loss of control with respect to addiction. Yes, you heard me say it. It is a myth. No one loses control over their substance use, um, ever. It never happens. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes, either through video conference like Zoom or Skype, or here at our retreat. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. So yes, it's the holiday season and a lot of people are gonna be celebrating. They're gonna be, you know, tying one on and and for the people that have viewed themselves as addicts or alcoholics, there's this fear I know, especially if you're going back to drinking after a period of abstinence or being a period of being in recovery. Um, there's this idea that if you take one drink, you're off to the races. Is that the case? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I had to lead Mark in somehow. <laughs> yeah. I was, well, I was caught off guard. You saw the big pause because I was reading um, our Appendix A, the myth of loss of control. And I was, I was looking at the two studies that, we, well, we have a bunch of studies in that appendix um, that we cite. And uh, there's some good ones in here. There are some great ones. And so there's a there's a lot of people that think that they're, even people that have successfully moderated their substance use, um, they think, oh, maybe I'm just one of the lucky ones that is able to do this. And, you know, there's a whole class of people that, yeah, they probably shouldn't drink. And look at if you're somebody that's happy not drinking and not doing any drugs whatsoever, great. Stay happy doing that. We're happy with you. We're not encouraging anybody to moderate. Um, but what we're here for is to tell people that if you want to, if it's something you want to do, if you want to have a glass of champagne on New Year's Eve, if you want to have a glass of wine with dinner at Christmas, um, if you want to have a cocktail with your friends to celebrate the season, you can do that, and you're not gonna. You don't have to be out of control, right? That's right. That's right. Here's here's one study that Marlette did um, in 1973. Just because it's an older study doesn't mean it's not valid. By the way, people have this bizarre idea that if a study wasn't done in the last year, it's useless. <laughs> it's like defunct. Yeah. It's, no, there were a, a plenty of studies done done in the last 50 years that basically the treatment industry ignored. Yeah. Here's here's what we wrote, um, and this is uh, here's how one review summed up the simple experiment: Non-abstinent alcoholics and social drinkers were given either alcohol, either alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverages, vodka and tonic, tonic only, in a in a taste rating ta- task. In each condition, half the subject expected to drink alcohol and half tonic. Consumption increased only when subjects expected alcohol, regardless of the actual beverage content. So they didn't know whether they were, they were told, they were told, up oh, here you go, you're going to be given vodka. And um, when they weren't. Yes. And, and they went both directions. And the only time that it increased is if the person thought they were getting yes. vodka. So um, even when they weren't. Here, I'm going to read this. So wait, that, that takes away the biologic argument 
that you're, as soon as alcohol hits the stomach and gets into the bloodstream, that that's what kicks in the craving, that it's this physical compulsion right. that's driven by your biology. It's not. It's driven by what you believe you're getting and b- what you believe you're getting out of the experience and what your n- own personal narrative is yes. towards alcohol. And what your relationship is with it. Right. The test subjects had access to pitchers full of drinks and were told they could have as much as they wanted. The researchers came up with a mixture of alcohol that could not be detected by taste. If the allergy model were true, then the presence of alcohol in the mixture should have resulted in more drinking. In fact, consumption increased only when test subjects were led to believe they were drinking alcohol, but did not increase when they were led to believe they weren't drinking alcohol. This gets right to the core idea of allergy-based or addiction-based loss of control and disproves it. Again, people with a peanut allergy, they don't need to know that they've eaten peanuts to have an allergic reaction. Yet alcoholics apparently need to know that they've ingested alcohol to drink alcoholically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's important. It's, it's so important. You know, there's there's these these physical reactions that people have to all kinds of things. There's cause and effect in the body, and but when it comes to alcohol, there is no cause and effect when it comes to the effect being behavior. The only thing that causes people to drink is their desire for it Yes. and their relationship to the drug based on their beliefs. And there are many. That's why we have a 469-page book. There are many ideas about alcohol and drugs that drive the behavior, but it's all ideas. And ideas are a product of the mind, not your biology. Or your physiology. In, so, in nearly every prime dosing study, as you call them, call them prime dosing studies, where people are given alcohol that, but they don't know that they're being given alcohol, it does not. Every study doesn't show a loss of control, or shows no loss of control. So, I want to do one more here. If you want to, and if you're really curious about this, you can get the book "Controlled Drinking" um, by Heather and Robertson. It's from 1983. Um, and this is uh, one of the earliest prime dosing st- experiments that were done, and it's mentioned in that book, Controlled Drinking, which we cite in our book. Um, this is still in uh, Appendix A. It says, nine, inpatient diagno- nine inpatients diagnosed as gamma alcoholics with loss of control were given one fluid ounce of vodka disguised in orange juice and presented to subjects as a vitamin drink at breakfast. Pilot work had established that the presence of vodka in the mixture was impossible to detect. Subject acted as their own controls and were given either mixture in two-day sequences over 16 days. During the late morning of each day of the experiment, subjects were asked to record any degree of craving experienced on a simple five-point scale. This is craving for alcohol. No craving, slight, moderate, strong, very strong craving. By nine nursing staff who were unaware of the purpose of the experiment and of the fact that the alcohol was being secretly administered to patients. So the nurses weren't aware of this either. And um, the results showed no difference in average craving scores between the alcoholic and non-alcoholic mixtures. There was also no significant difference in the number of occasions when any craving was experienced. Indeed, there were slightly more such occasions following the non-alcoholic mixture. So, uh, once again, we see people can be given alcohol. They don't know they're given alcohol. And nothing happens. And nothing happens. No cravings. No, you know, going crazy, trying to get your next drink. 
Um, and so this whole chapter is filled with that. And so now let's, let's help people recognize that in their own experiences, they've done their own prime dosing experiments and probably, I mean, most people have a history where they've drank and not gotten drunk. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, everybody know? does. I, I've never met in 31 years. I've never met a single person that, uh, didn't moderately drink at some at point. At some point. And if, and here you have a situation where if you have cause and effect, where where biology, because biology is biology is biology, right? I mean, yeah. if you take an antibiotic in a massive dose and you have bacteria in your body, it'll kill that bacteria. We know that. You can look at it in pathology, in the, in the Petri dish. Um, but... Here you have a situation where the behavior with drinking is totally varied, or drug taking is totally varied. On one occasion, you might be at a funeral and have a sad time and you control your drinking or you control yourself and your behaviors while you're totally shit-faced. And then if you're at the strip club, you act like a total maniac and a frat boy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So same molecule. This is what's important. So it's almost as if you were taking an antibiotic, let's use that analogy, um, you take an antibiotic and it kills the bacteria and then one day you decide it's not going to kill the bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. 100% of the time it's going to kill the bacteria. So, so alcohol doesn't physiologically create behavior. And uh, is that my phone ringing? That is yes. your phone. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so uh, yeah, so we... You're not run by your biology. What you're run by is your mind, your thoughts, your motives, your desires, your emotions, your experiences that you record in your mind. And that's, that's what uh, creates a compulsion, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're compelled to use, it's only because you believe you are, right? And your beliefs drive your behaviors, not the other way around. Right, right. It's... And, and your beliefs are all-encompassing. Um, you know, we have certain certain things we like to do for very specific reasons. We have different relationships with different people and different substances. And we all of these things are based on our past experiences, which help us form our beliefs, right? So, so if you are somebody who believes that you need alcohol to celebrate and you but you need a lot of it i mean you might be somebody that believes you only need one or two drinks and then so you'll only take one or two drinks um but for there was a period of time when i was young where i didn't see the value in one or two drinks yeah well it's there's something about youth that correlates with heavy use right yes so we know that addiction, um, in general, peaks between 21 to 26 years old. Yeah. Right, right in there is the high point of the curve. And we're using the word addiction synonymous with heavy use yeah. and, and heavy use often. Yeah, I'm just using that because that's the term people use. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of use happens at that age. Um, but then it drops. 70% of that demographic by age 37 are no longer doing it. Right. So that's a massive, massive number of people that just age out without treatment, with or without treatment, right? Because their preferences naturally change, their priorities change, and quite frankly, their relationship changes with alcohol as their relationships change with everything else in their life. 
the magic that is a buzz, right? That we that we imbue a physical sensation with in our mind. Um, so you get drunk. You what is getting drunk? It's it's a acetaldehyde in your system, giving you a sensation and slowed neural functioning, right? So we know physiologically in the body that's what happens. Um, then we interpret that. And that is magic, right? We interpret it and imbue it with all kinds of fantasy. And because that's what our culture says about alcohol. It says it, it, it acts as if alcohol has a mind of its own, that it's powerful, that it thinks for you, that it relieves your stress, that it, it goes into your mind and changes the content of your thoughts, which is ludicrous, okay? I mean, on its face, it's ludicrous. But because we've been taught it, it becomes extremely real and valuable. Yes. So we have a religious experience with alcohol now, or drugs. So that isn't surprising at 12 to 26 years old. We have all kinds of fantasies. We get on our dirt bike at night and go riding through the wind and we think it's the most exciting thing in, in the world. Um, you'll see guys buy a Harley at 48 years old and try to relive that experience, you know? Um, so, but it's ne it never quite has the same luster. You have your first loves in your teen years and you act like a maniac with it. You know, I can remember hitchhiking in the dark in the middle of a rainstorm in October, 20 miles to get to my girlfriend's house. <laughs> there you go. I can tell you, I wouldn't do that today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no girls. Went back. <laughs> nope. Um, not unless there was an emergency and I didn't have a car. So, um, the, the point is, is that we, we're very emotional creatures and we're allowed to be. Because everybody understands that youth is what it is. Um, so we, we naturally age out of, of this, this fantasy world. But some people don't. Right. See, the beliefs are so powerful in our culture that alcohol has a mind of its own. And that it, it, it is powerful. right? And these things are repeated so much that we prolong this love affair we have with the magic, with our youthful magic. Now, let's say that you're, you're a drinker or a drugger who starts doing that at 38, let's right. say. You're, so, you're a late starter, somebody that retires from work and starts drinking at 65. Um, and you find yourself in the easy chair drinking yourself to death. Um, that's not fantasy. That's strictly utility. Sometimes it's utility mm -hmm. of, I'm bored. I'm just going to concentrate on this buzz. It becomes your rut. Yeah becomes your right, just becomes a part of that. and But it is a mild fantasy world yeah. because we do have the cultural construct that drinking is magical. Every ad. Oh, yes. They don't show the guy at the dinner table screaming at his kids, right. hating his job, losing his job, because that would be a bad ad. It wouldn't <laughs> sell much booze, right? They, no, everybody's always having a great time. They're in a sport jacket or and, a bathing suit. And they're always really good looking. And, and healthy. And healthy and wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't show guys like me sitting in a dorm room drinking himself to death and, uh, you know, falling apart at the seams and shaking in the morning, sweating and having massive panic attacks. Yeah, no. 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 So, so anyway, the, the, the point is, is that um, we have this love affair with... Uh, the, the mythology that alcohol is powerful, that you have no control, and ironically, the entire time you're drinking, there's only you. 
Right. There, there is no other mind. There is no other, there's not a dual mind happening that's battling it out with your own thoughts. See, the, the premise of, of the whole addiction model is that your brain creates thought and that you're, you're a minion to this biology, your physiology. And that's just not true. Your mind runs the show and your mind is not your brain. So your mind, your thoughts, your drives, your emotions, these are the things that create your beliefs. And when, once you create your beliefs, if you have the belief that alcohol and drugs are powerful, then you're going to have a battle on your hands. You're going to create a battle. And, and that's exactly why some people will, when they, when they come to us and they say, you know, I, I don't really like it. I don't really like it. Why, how can you say I'm not out of control um, when I, I absolutely feel totally out of control? Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that is, is because you probably don't like the consequences. Right. Um, you know, you don't like feeling sick. You don't like, and you're trying to get yourself to change based on the fear of the consequences. Um, but you, you haven't really looked at what, what you really like about it. Yeah, what you like about it and your belief that it has power. Yeah. So so if you believe that it has this power, then you have created a battle, an unnecessary battle with something that doesn't think. Yeah. Right? So how is it possible that a substance, think about this, can battle you? You're, you're the only one in there. The alcohol doesn't have a mind. Right. So what are you battling? Your battling is really deliberating but the problem is you're so distracted by this myth that alcohol and drugs contain power that you're fighting the wrong battle you're fighting a straw man you're fighting something that doesn't even exist but the problem is that's such a deep distraction and holds you captive with your attention it's like a shiny object over here when you could just look to the left and see hey, I can make a direct choice on whether I like the benefits of getting fucked up anymore. Right. You know? And if I like those benefits, I'll continue to drink heavily. But, but there's so much that we're unpacking in this, in this podcast because your beliefs are driven by so many angles and points of misinformation in our culture. It's not funny. And people get lost in it. And then your beliefs create a terrible reality. You create the battle. You create an addiction. You create the idea that you're compelled to use. You create the idea that alcohol has power, that you, you, you are weak. You create the, the, the myth that it's a matter of willpower, not choice. Mm -hmm. um, we literally get rid of free will and we act as if the drug has a will and you have none. That's the whole power argument. That's ridiculous. And so when you, when you think in your mind, if I have one drink, I, I'm going to be drunk. You know, one drink equals one drunk. Then what you're doing is you're thinking that, that alcohol has a will and has power to basically enslave you. Now, where did this mythology come from? That's the question. And there's three words that AA coined that became the mantra. And that mm. is that alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. They repeat that before every single AA meeting single worldwide. Meeting. It became a part of the narrative. It mainstreamed the idea. And then that was coupled into a disease ideal. And those two factors are flat out 
100%. There isn't a shred of evidence that any of that is true. Um, alcohol is not cunning like a tiger is. It's not, it, it, it's not alive. Do you, do you understand that? It is not cunning. It's not baffling. Now, you may be baffled because you believe that alcohol is cunning, baffling. Right. You may be baffled by your own behavior yep. surrounding alcohol, by your relationship with it, by the allure of it to you. The fact but that, that you, means you're baffling, that, that, not, not alcohol. That's right. That's exactly right. You're your worst enemy because of misinformation, yep. because you're distracted by a shiny object called a disease and this whole ideal over here that's untrue. And your mind can only do one thing at a time. So if you're staring at a shiny object called the disease of alcoholism and you're trying to battle it, guess what? That's a never-ending recovery Sorry. battle. That's why recovery was mainstreamed because you're constantly struggling in recovery and it becomes this, this, uh, this junky pride sort of uh, mission. And people will say, I'm so proud of you. So oh, I know. Oh, yeah, that used to drive me crazy. Oh, I'm like, like you, 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 you conquered this demon, and I'm like, hey, it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't a demon. There was nothing to conquer. I just basically changed my mind. Yeah, and I stopped. <laughs> and I stopped being a jerk. <laughs> right now, right. I'm not saying that everybody drinks is a jerk, but I was. So, um, but I, I stopped feeling powerless. I stopped believing. In ghosts, yeah, you know, in mythology. I, yeah, I um, I refused to to believe it. Once I saw the research, like these priming dose studies, where when people don't know they're getting alcohol or not, they don't react in the ways we uh, the the culture tells us they that they should react. So um, so it's important. Read Appendix A in the Freedom Model for Addictions um, if you really want to understand that you are not powerless. Um, but I would read the whole book if you if you're the yeah. type of person that feels like everything we're saying or a lot of what we're saying seems mystifying and bullshit to you. Um, if you think that, you need to read the whole book. Yeah. Um, it took me, oh, I don't know, 12 years to really figure all this stuff out with Michelle and Steve and Jerry and the whole team. And, uh, and we wrote it down for you so that you don't have to guess at this. And, and I want you, you know, if you're someone that bought into it and now you're feeling kind of um, like foolish for having bought into all of this because, yeah, because it is absurd. It's, it's you know, I, I, if you've seen the Matrix movies, I always think, you know, something happened with me where all of a sudden I was unplugged from the whole addiction, you know, disease matrix. And then all of a sudden it, it looks, you see it for what it really is, which is this charade. Um, please understand that there are very smart people with high-level degrees, PhDs, and academia, and research that are teaching this stuff um, that have also bought in, yeah. and that I bought in for a period of time so much so. Now, and you know, I never bought in fully to the disease idea, but I did buy into a certain amount of the loss of control, and that there were certain people that could drink and certain people that couldn't, and. Um, I, I bought into it for a while and it, it you know, basically, um, it took me 20 years to undo that nonsense. And then it took me actually running the experiment for myself to, to solidify that, that I, that I knew that it was all nonsense, you know, um, basically 
so don't beat yourself up. And if you're thinking about drinking, if you if this is if the holidays are going to be your first hurrah again after several months or years abstinent, um, definitely, and you're still wondering, um, definitely take the time to read through our book. And, and you know, if you read nothing else, um, read The Loss of Control, the Appendix A. Yeah. Maybe an Appendix B, which is also debunks the whole disease concept. The other thing you can do if, if you feel like this is some sort of sales job, read the reviews on Amazon mm-hmm. because they're unsolicited reviews and you'll see what people are saying about the book um, without being prompted. Yeah. And, uh, and that's helpful to people to say, okay, it's worth my 20 bucks to, to you know, read this damn thing. Um, if you find reading difficult and you need help, and look, look at Michelle, Stephen, myself, Jerry, the whole crew, Ryan, everybody. We've all been hopeless. Yeah. We've all been there. We've all been tragically close to death from drinking and drugging ourselves nearly to death. We all know what it feels like to be completely lost. Um, and you don't have to go and become a researcher like we did and try and figure it out on your own no, through the course of decades. No, you don't have to read through all the books we did <laughs> over the 30 years we've been doing this. Um, and you don't have to be coupled into some sort of recovery shielding model where you're living in a bubble isolated and trying to live this trigger-free life that's that's all the trappings of of trading you know a drunk lifestyle or a drugging lifestyle for one that's in recovery where you're hiding away from it that's all fear-based nonsense you don't have to do all that but if you find you can't read a book some people don't learn well by reading um, then you might need help and we are here for you. We have Freedom Model Private Instruction where you stay home. You do 12 to 15 classes with us, private sessions one-on-one over Zoom. Um, and with it being one-on-one over Zoom, it's really, really easy. We set everything up for you. It's super seamless. Um, and, and now video production is so well done that it's as if we're in the same room. Uh, I don't like Zoom or any of those video type scenarios with groups of people. Oh, God, no. They, they don't work well. They can't work well. It's not like being in the same room and they're awkward. So if that's been your experience with Zoom or Skype and you're afraid that the lessons will be like that, they're not. No, it's, it's, it's just you you, you and us, you and one of us. And we have enough bandwidth here at the retreat. We've, we've got our own T1 line coming in. So it's, it's really clean video. Mm-hmm. So anyway, don't let the video portion stop you. We'll set that up for you and we'll make it easy. So if you need the help, that's a very affordable option. Uh, we'll have the online program, which is just video-based without the Zoom part. Uh, that'll be built in the next two months. Um, and uh, uh, then we, of course, if you need your lifestyle to stop um, because you're really in crisis and you're falling apart, uh, people come to our retreat and they've done that for 31 years. So um, you can come and have class with me or Michelle. Uh, you could do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we only have three beds open during COVID. You'd have your own private suite. And you'd have one-on-one classes with one of us. Uh, usually the women are with Michelle. The men are with, with the men. Um, so we can make that work for you. Now, if this is your first Christmas where maybe you're not going to be drinking. And so why not challenge yourself 
to see if you really need alcohol and drugs to have fun. Yeah, being abstinent is is awesome. It's pretty wonderful. It is. And I can remember when I when I became absent, my life took off and um I don't know. I was just done with the whole drinking thing. I was tired of being around the people, the crowds mm-hmm. that I was involved with and I was I was ready. I was ready to move on with my life. Um so uh, but if you but but if you're gonna make that choice and you're still find yourself struggling, then again read the book or give us a call. Give us a call, definitely eight 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 four two four two six two six. We are here during the holidays. One of us will be answering the phone, um, pretty much from nine in the morning until nine at night most days. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday we answer until six p.m. Eastern time. Um, but, but yeah, we, we're here to help. We're here to answer any questions you might have if you're reading and we're here to talk to you about maybe, maybe if one of our program options, um, maybe, maybe able to help you. Yep. And, uh, you can private message us on Facebook. We have a ton of groups moving, uh, we're, we're moving the beyond addiction and recovery. All right. I got that mixed up with the family thing in my head. And families moving beyond addiction and recovery. We have those two groups and we also have the freedom model group. Um, and, um, so, and go go to our freedom model page. We have a freedom, the freedom model YouTube channel, which has got a ton of, ton ton of videos. We have more information available to the public than any program in the world. Yes, we do. Okay. So, so there's no reason that you can't really under, at least fundamentally understand the model and that you can be free and that you don't have to be in recovery. Recovery is a trap, it's a lie. It keeps you tied to your past. It, it really is, freedom is not being in recovery. Freedom is moving on completely. It's moving on as if the problem, quite frankly, not only as if the problem never existed, because you know, just like anything else in life, you can learn, you learn from your past problems. Yeah. You know, you, you, you'd be like, you know what? I used to drink really heavily, it didn't work that well for me. So I learned from it and I'm moving on now. Yeah. And last thing is, um, we have our friends at Gallus Detox. If you're in the throes of withdrawal or you're terrified to quit because you shake, shudder, and sweat like I did, Mm -hmm. um, if that's a reality for you, that stuff can be dangerous, especially benzodiazepines, alcohol, um, those, those types of drugs. So, um, if you need detox, talk to our friends at Gallus Detox. Dot com. That's G-A-L-L-U-S detox.com. And they have a place in Denver, Colorado, and one in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they're awesome at what they do. Yeah, they will even um, detox you from a methadone or suboxone, which a lot of places won't do inpatient detox. Yeah, if you're ready to get off the mat train and move on with your life and, and be abstinent from drugs, then... They'll help you to do that. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you every... Buddy, for I'm gonna give the number one more time. It's eight 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 four two four two six two six. All right, I gotta read my spiel. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or go to our websites, thefreedommodel.org and also soberforever.net. Sober Forever provides detailed information about our residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat. And thefreedommodel.org is our hub and has a ton of free resources, including information um, of these videos, our videos, podcasts, free ebooks, 
and information about our at-home private instruction program. You can get digital editions of our full program books for free. That's the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family. Um, enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout to get either of those books for free. Paperback and Kindle versions are available for purchase on Amazon, or you can get uh, paperbacks at one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions, remember, you can call us 888-424-2626. From everyone here at The Freedom Model, we wish you a very Merry Christmas, and um, we'll be doing one more podcast before the new year, but Happy New Year. Bye. Bye.